Good morning, everyone, and welcome to episode 236 of the Ask the Coach show, where Ping Skills helps you improve your table tennis. For Technique Tuesday, we'll take a look at footwork for receiving. In the questions, we talk about the secrets to early success, the difference between the counter hit and the top spin, and the contact point on the ball for various strokes. Plus, we've got a few people who've asked us a question from our Google Plus page using the Q&A app. I'm Jeff Plum, and as always, Supercoach Alois Rosario is here with me to answer your questions. Welcome, Alois. Hey, thank you, Jeff, and um, yeah, welcome, Ping Skillers. Another great day, another great show, we hope. Indeed, yep, certainly is. Um, now, Alois, your Power of Practice Challenge is going pretty well. Yeah, yeah, like it's it it's interesting. Like yesterday, um, yeah, it was okay. It was pretty good, you know. And and it really is. It's just this up and down thing, and and it's also now I think which I like it's starting to become a little bit of a motivational issue, you know. I've done it for seven days and uh, doing the same skill for seven days. Um, yeah, um, so I just need to I just need to keep focusing on on the skill still keep need to think about, you know, perhaps setting myself a few little challenges and goals to, to keep going with it. I still don't feel confident with it. Like, you know, um, to be able to do that um, every time. So there is, there is still that challenge to get the skill better. And then I watched Waldner do this, this, the spin catcher and oh my goodness. Um, I've got a long way to go. Yeah, you certainly do. That was amazing, wasn't it? He kind of spun the ball one way, spun it the other way up high, and then just caught it on his racket like it was nothing. That was incredible. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm a long way off that. So, you know, that has inspired me a bit. So I, um, I'll get out there today and see how we go with the next five minutes. And what about you, Jeff? Yeah, um, again, yeah, I was struggling a bit because I was actually going pretty well with the forehand. So motivation was a bit hard. And then I was trying to flip over and I realized that I couldn't do it on the backhand at all. So yesterday I spent quite a bit of time of my five minutes trying to work on the backhand, starting to get a bit better at the backhand now as well. So that, that was good and that was fun. And, and you know, you talk about the five minutes going really fast. Again, because I'd switched over to the backhand and was learning something new, the five minutes just went really quickly. Um, so, yeah, that was interesting. And, yeah, we've had a lot of ping skillers doing a lot of good things. Um, check out our Facebook page. And if you're getting started, it's not too late. Pick one of the skills, the table tapper or the spin catcher, and start recording. Record your first session, send it to us, or post it to YouTube with the hashtag power of practice. Um, yeah, and start. Stanley um, is doing great things with the table tapper alloys. He's trying on a table that's got a much skinnier edge than me. And the first day he was really struggling. The second day he got a record of 13 in a row. So well done, Stanley. Keep going. Um, yeah, Francisco going well on the, the spin catcher. A lot of other people as well. It's great stuff. Keep the videos coming. Yeah, no, it is. It's um, it's pretty inspiring to see you know how how much development um can happen over a short period of time with a specific skill. It's good. I like it. Absolutely. All right. Um, I think we should jump straight into this day in history. What happened on the eighth of March? Well, a very a, a big day for table tennis. So two big birthdays. 
The greats, Timo Boll and Kalinos Krienga, both born on the 8th of March. So Boll is 35 years old. Is that right? <laughs> Must be. 1981. He's getting old. He's an old man. Um, but, <laughs> but, but you reckon he's old? Krienga was born in 1972. What does that make him? Oh, that makes him 44. 44. Yeah. Wow. wow. Um, and still still playing pretty well, you know. Like he's just ripping backhands and forehands still. Imagine how many imagine how many backhands he's ripped in those 44 years. Wow, that is I mean such an amazing stroke. <laughs> there you go. So 8th of March. I mean, if you were born on the 8th of March, good signs for, for you and your table tennis, that's for sure. Yeah, Bol and Krienga. There you go. You share a very, very big birthday. Indeed. All right. Uh, let's get stuck into these Ping Skillers questions. Yesterday's was, what was the outstanding performance at the World Teams Championships? Yeah. So we had uh, had a few, quite a few responses. And, you know, I, I agree with almost all of them, I think. So Matt Massey said England reaching the semifinal was pretty cool. And I reckon it certainly was. Um, Parkash uh, agreed. So, yep, England. Um, and India in both the men's and women's category, second division, making it to the championship division for next uh, edition. So they both, the men's and women's Indian teams, winning division two. So that really is an incredible effort because, um, you know, there's some unbelievably strong teams in division two, you know, Brazil's and those sort of countries. So so well done, India. Um so Milos, England, without a doubt, and India too. And, of course, China. Don't forget China. China's, um, uh, you know, winning both the World Team Championships and Japan getting the silver medal in both the men's and women's. Um, Thad said it has to be the English team, both the men's and the women's. Uh, Glenn O'Day said the performance of India to win both the men's and women's. So he agreed with that. Um, and he said, and the umpires in the Japan versus England semi-final who called players on both sides for illegal serves. Hmm, good one, Glenn. Yes, we, we often talk about this. We often talk about, you know, the the, um, the different things that the, the top players are getting away with. And yes, the umpires were calling them in that match. So, so well done, umpies. I like it. Um, it is good. The only thing I'll say about this is, it annoys me if people aren't consistent throughout all the other tournaments and then become harsh, and I'm not sure if this is really the case, but harsh in, like, the World Championships. I think you need to be consistent in all the Pro Tour tournaments and consistency. If you have consistency, the players won't be upset. Yeah, absolutely true. I like that, uh, Jeff. Um, and also on our blog, um, a few comments. So Marson said, um, uh, Mizutani's win over Pitchford. So that was a big match. Um, exceptionally interesting, spectacular, and the most important point in the whole game, the, the, uh, the game point at two all. Looks to me like point of the tournament. So uh, that was uh, his highlight. And Dita said the coverage um, on, I, well, this was unrelated, but he said no answer for P- a Ping Skiller's question of the day uh, for now. Um, but he said there was a few flaws with the ITTV um, coverage. He said that, the Belgium versus Brazil uh, link always show, showed I, Montero versus Nightink. Um So, um, yes, you just wanted me to say 
Nigel. He did. There was nothing wrong with it. He just wanted you to pronounce his name. <laughs> and, Ni- and Nigel said, um, the outstanding match I watched was Sam Walker against uh, Yuya Oshima. So that was uh, the number three match in the England versus Japan match. And Sam Walker having a huge win, beating a player 130 places above him in the world rankings, giving England a chance to level the match. So, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So lots of highlights for people um, at the World Championships. Yeah, certainly was, certainly was. Um, yeah, I, I, my highlight was seeing uh, Paul Drinkle in that decider in the quarterfinal against Leveson, uh, having the four match points, losing them, uh, to have save a match point himself and then come back. What a match, just so much emotion on both sides. Felt so sorry for Leveson, but uh, well done to England. Great match. Yeah, like England played some... Absolute crackers, didn't they? Yeah, that match against France, the match against Japan. Um, yeah. Some... Yeah, I mean, you saw Liam Pitchford so close against Mizutani. You know, if he wins that, who knows what happens? So, you know, great effort by by England and Liam Pitchford in particular. Um, yeah. In match. And he was so distraught after the match, you know. And, and looking from outside, we think, man, you've done so well. But, you know, when you're in the situation and you lose that close match... Um, it's always devastating, you know, for everyone. So, uh, yeah, uh, Liam Pitchford, yeah, great tournament. Indeed. All right, so with the World Championships over, we're moving off that topic for today's Pink Skillers question of the day. And instead, we're going to equipment. We want to know what is the best rubber around at the moment. So jump onto the Pink Skills Facebook page or onto the Pink Skills blog and let us know what is the best rubber around at the moment. Okay, Alois, it is Tuesday, which means it's Technique Tuesday. What are we focusing on today? Yeah, so this is um, this is a little bit different one. It's the receiving serve and the footwork for receiving serve. So um, I've been focusing on this a little bit with uh, with players recently. So that movement um, on the receiver serve is is interesting now. So we see the the Chinese players uh, in particular, and how much they're moving before they hit the ball um, to make, especially to make that backhand side spin flick. So they're often standing way over in the backhand corner um, as the ball's being thrown up. They they're up, they're jumping into position, and they're almost here and ready to make that. Uh, backhand side's been flick as uh, their opponent's about to hit the ball. So I think the, the biggest thing here is just the, the the activity and the movement that's happening to start the motion um, when they're returning serve. If you're, if you're solid and, and stable, um, then it's difficult to get yourself moving. We talked a little bit about this uh, the other day as well. So for me, that's really important, you know, just starting to make that movement happen um, on the return of serve, get yourself into motion. And um, there was an interesting uh, video that someone pointed out to us um, about badminton and badminton footwork, and uh, we'll put a link up to that as well. Um, the, the lady on there um, gives us some interesting analogies about um, movement and footwork in badminton, but um, I guess they're relevant uh, for table tennis as well. So, yeah. So, um, so thinking thinking more about that footwork for the return of serve, the the movement and the and the getting yourself into motion, I think, is really important. And then it's um, where do you move and how do you move? So, 
if that ball is short on the forehand side, um, and if you're going into play it with your with your forehand in particular, your right foot needs to come right under the table and get close close to the um, to the ball. Even if you're coming into play that backhand side spin flick, you you need to move really close and under the table with your right leg, um, so that you're getting closer to the ball. If you try and move in with your left, then this side of your body is further away and it's hard to get close to the to the ball there. So move in with your right and get in nice and close there. Um, and then if you need to adjust, then you're already in motion and you're moving and moving um, to each ball. Yeah. Excellent. Sounds good, Alois. Just wondering about getting in motion. So when you're ready to serve, you're waiting, they're about to hit the ball. Do you do like, how do you, do you do a big jump or do you move sideways or is it just like a, just a real small jump that people hardly even notice? How do you get into motion? Yeah, I, I, I like just that little, little jump into motion. So it doesn't need to be a big jump, just a little jump with both feet. And then um, you've got some energy happening in your legs and, and you're ready, ready to move for the next one. So, so as, as the ball's going up, a little jump. Uh, you're ready to go either way. Okay, I like it. Yeah, so just a really small jump because you want to obviously keep your head quite steady because you'll be watching the ball. So just yes. a really small jump. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if, if you can keep your head nice and still, that's great. Um, but, yeah, definitely there's just that little bit of motion to start off with. Excellent. All right, everybody. So this week when you go out, when you're returning serve, just have a little bit of, of a think about what you do um, as the person serving and then see if you can take some of that advice and make sure you have a little jump so you're ready for movement. And if it's short, get your right foot in really close to the ball. Um, great tips. Let us know if they help you out. All right. Now let's get on to some questions. Some people have asked some using the Google Q&A app live on the show. First up, Ilya says... What is the best way to train my wrist muscles so I can increase the power of my side spin, top spin flick? Yeah. So um, it really isn't a, a lot about power with the wrist. It's about relaxation with the wrist. So you, the, you, you, your wrist doesn't generate a lot of power. It's more just the relaxation to allow the wrist to, to flow through. Um, you can increase wrist strength, um, you know, by doing things like um, wrist curls. So, you know, getting little um, little weights and doing that and that, or even getting a a bar, and you can hang um, a weight off it with a rope and just um, just curl up the rope so it curls up the up the bar. Doing that and letting it down. So those sort of things. But you know, go and see someone if you if you're really interested in getting. Um, uh, increasing the strength in your wrist. But a lot of it, as I said, is to do with the relaxation of the wrist as well. Yeah, good good tips there. Um, and Because you can see some people that don't look very strong hit some powerful balls, can't you? Yeah, but but the power is generated, you know, through your legs and through your through your waist and, um, and you know, uh, and your torso. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's where a lot of your power is generated. So you still need strength, but... Um, not so much here. It's not. It's not a strong physical motion here. Great, gotcha. All right. Next up is a question from Victor E. He says, he says, if Timo Boll is an old man, then what are you, Alois? Uh, a little bit cheeky there. Uh, what, also... what are you talking about? 
I'm <laughs> ten years younger than him. <laughs> um, the, but he also says, do you know how to beat a talented player who blocks all the balls that I hit to him? His blocks are really annoying and I lose every time. I don't get many points at all. He also has a lot of speed, power and spin on his strokes and his size spin flick is also very good. Help! Brocky, we have a new tall guy. I like it. Um, so for those of you that weren't watching these shows early on in the piece, so Brocky or a.k.a. Victory, um, had this tall guy that he could never beat and, you know, he used to used to kill him all the time and now Brocky is better than uh, than the tall guy. Um, so when you're playing against a, a guy who's a good blocker, variation is the key. So you don't try and play the ball strong at them all the time because they like that. They like the ball coming to them. So sometimes slow, sometimes fast, vary the position, play in the middle like you did to the tall guy. That's always good against the blocker. Um, and um, as I said, variation. Don't try and don't try and blast your way through them. They love that. They they don't need to do so much. You're in there trying to play top spins, and they're just standing there blocking. So um, don't give them too much pace to work with. All right, good tips there. Give that a try, Victor, and, and let us know if it helps you. Yeah, and we do we do have a, um, a video in our match strategy section on playing against a blocker, so you can have a look at that as well. All right, we will put that in the show notes. Uh, and Victor's also asked another question. He says, I've been watching some highlights at the World Championships. Very good. And everyone, go to ITTF.com, click on the ITTV link to watch some of the highlights. Um, he says, I'm shocked at how fast the rallies are and the players impress me, but who can actually stop Ma Long? He's too strong at the moment. All his matches end 3 nil. He's the king of TT. Do you agree? Uh, absolutely. At the moment, he is unstoppable. Um, what did I I saw some stat um, that was floating around on Facebook that he hasn't lost a set for the last three World Teams Championships, I think. Yeah, I saw that stat. If that's true, I mean, that is incredible, isn't something it? Something ridiculous like that. Yeah, I mean, how, how do you beat him? You know, I know. Himself. But like Can't- you said, Alloys. Things can change pretty quickly. Um, you know, maybe Fans and Dong can come up in the next couple of months. Um, so he's definitely the king at the moment, but things can change quickly. Yeah. Rio, Rio's less than six months away now, you know, but as you say, things can change quickly. But who's going to qualify for Rio? That's, that's, the, that's the key. Who's going to get there? Is. I mean, will Fans and Dong even be there? Yeah. He didn't even... Didn't play in the team's final. <laughs> I know exactly. It's amazing. Uh, fans and Dong, if you if you want if you want a spot in the team, come over here, man. We'll we'll have you. <laughs> Indeed. All righty. Uh, moving on. Jdev has said, I was thinking about how could it be possible for Mima Ito or Fans and Dong to achieve the maximum level at the very small age. In our sport, it requires years of hard work and practice to reach the elite level. So how have these two done it so quickly? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, You know, one is, I don't know all their history, but I mean, one is I'm sure that they were playing from from a very young age and they've also had a a very good environment to to train in and and to learn, obviously. So 
you know, they're important things as well. So it's not always just a matter of the number of hours that you train. It's also the quality of the training and what you're doing in your training as well. So um, Mima Ito, you know, I mean, she played in the world team's final this time and, you know, just she's 15, I think, still, um, you know, challenged uh, the best players in the world um, and has won uh, world tour um titles and, and things like that yeah it's just it's just incredible i mean i don't understand it exactly um she's obviously doing a lot of things right she's obviously training very well she's training hard she's doing lots of hours and she started at a young age in a good environment so so those sort of things help and same with fans dong yeah uh, exactly such a young age i don't get it either Alois. i mean People, this is where people, it's interesting, isn't it? The talent versus um, just practice debate. Um, you know, there's a lot of books out there, you know, Bounce and uh, the Talent Code and Outliers that all talk about having to have this 10,000 hours. And look, certainly practice is so important. And without that, people aren't going to reach there. But I still can't help thinking when you just go down to a sports ground anywhere and watch kids playing. Uh, sport, there's such a different level between the players that I'm sure there's such a thing as talent and that it is important. Yeah. Or or is it just the experiences that they've had from a very, very young age, from, you know, from zero to five and, you know, six, you know, have they had access to a, to a ball? Have they um, done coordination activities that without even knowing it? It could be, but... I, I'm still going with talent. I mean, yeah, I, I think there's, I think it's an important part of the process. Yeah. Genes, right. the genes. Good genes. We need good genes. Yes. And there's another book, The Sports Gene, which talks about that um, in particular. That's another good book. So I'll, so I'll see if I can find a link to that and put it in the show notes, The Sports Gene. Definitely worth reading, especially if you've read those other books, just a good counter argument to those books. All right. Shovik has asked, when I'm practicing the counter hit, I tend to make a finer contact like a topspin instead of driving the ball. I'm not sure as to how a counter hit stroke is different from a topspin stroke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the topspin is basically an extension of the counter hit. Um, so the, the counter hit has quite a flat contact. So if it's coming this way, the, the, the contact is quite flat. You're still starting here and coming upwards. So you are generating a little bit of topspin on it. But the, the important part is that flat contact to develop the control. As you start to think about the topspin, then the stroke is extended and the, the um, contact becomes a little bit more brushing by either turning the bat over or coming up the back of the ball. Um, more so they they're basically the same shot you know just we we extend the counter hit to make the top spin um, but the contact is is critical here so the the flatter contact will give you a counter hit um, or a block type of action the brushing contact will give you um, more of the top spin important that you um, have that good control to start off with get that bat on the ball, learn how to control the ball well, and then you can develop um, the top spin from there. Absolutely. All right. Good work, Shovik. Um, great that you're able to get some top spin. Uh, keep working on developing that. Excellent. Uh, Jahinga 
has asked the next question and says, there are various shots in table tennis. There's top spin, back spin, chop, block, and the counter hit. I want to know what is the appropriate contact point of the ball that makes consistent delivery in every execution. Yeah. So here's the ball um, coming towards you. So basically, I mean, you can you can contact that ball on a, a lot of different points there, basically on that side of the ball. So if that's the ball coming towards you, you can contact the ball there. So that's going to give you a, a very flat contact if you come straight through the, the, the ball that way. You can also contact the ball here, more towards the top, and that will give you a top spin. You can contact the ball here, and you're going to get the back spin. You can contact the ball there or there, and you're going to get different side spins. Um, in some cases, you can even contact the ball on the dark side of the moon, over, over here somewhere, over around here somewhere. Um, but um, that's, that's quite extreme. So if you think about it, so the ball coming towards you, you've got half the ball um, to contact the ball on, and you can contact the ball anywhere on there. And that is going to give you different types of spin depending on where you contact the ball. So um, there's not one spot that is good. Um, there are a whole lot of different spots on the ball. There's a, a infinite amount of spots on the ball that you can contact the ball. Um, and they're all going to give you slightly different spins and, um, and different effects on the ball. Yeah, good explanation, Alois. And also, it depends a lot on how the ball is spinning when it's coming towards you as well. I mean, that's what makes the game so difficult. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it is it is a, a interesting and difficult game. But, um, yeah, there's there's your moon. Your, if you can contact the ball anywhere on that side, you're going to get different types of spin on the ball. Top spin, back spin. Side spin, side spin. Yep. And sometimes, sometimes even the dark side over here. <laughs> wow, that's very cool, Alice. Love that explanation. Very good. Now, Victor is a bit of a, a power building, bodybuilding nut. And he wants to know, Alois, how much do pro TT players deadlift and squat? He says, I know they aren't power lifters, but how much do you think they lift? He reckons about 400 pounds. And he wants to know how much you lift too, Alice. Um, yeah, I'm up around the uh, 400 um, milligrams. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know figures of uh, some of the the guys, but yeah, I mean, 400 pounds for a squat is seems reasonable. I mean, you can see you can see how strong those guys' legs are. You know, the Chinese Ovtarov, those sort of players. Um, huge legs. So, yeah, they're obviously doing a lot of um, strength and conditioning work um, on their legs. And, yes, they probably can squat around 400 pounds. I don't, I don't know figures, though. If anyone knows what these guys are squatting, let us know. Absolutely. Excellent. All right, Alois, that wraps up show 236. Everyone, make sure you visit pingskills.com. Sign up for a free account so you get our weekly newsletter packed full of tips. Thanks, everyone, for watching. Thanks, especially to people who asked questions. And thank you, Alois. Thanks, Jeff. And we will see you tomorrow. Another great show. Um, get on your power of practice, peoples. And, um, yeah, send us in a video. It doesn't have to be every day. Just every now and then is good. Um, and let's see how much we can increase 
the potential of the ping skillers skills. Let's go. Absolutely. Catch you tomorrow. Bye.